Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. How are we doing this morning? Good. Coming off a win. I mean, we squeaking by, you know, this week. Um, yeah, who actually watched the Aggie game all the way to the end? Oh, awesome, awesome. Who walked out early because it was no tournament? Yeah, there you go, there you go. Awesome. Fun, fun to be on the W side. Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, flip over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be continuing our series uh, in the Sermon on the Mount called Upside Down Living, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read uh, verses 25 through 34 to us, and then we will jump in. So glad to see you guys here this morning, and it's going to be fun because we're going to talk about worry and anxiety, something that none of you ever struggle with at all in college, so I'm sure uh, we'll work hard to make it applicable. Just kidding. All right, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, it says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. All right, good, done. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But first sink the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Amen. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me pray for us. Lord, I I thank you that you came to earth, Jesus, And you got to see exactly the things that we struggle with. You got to live our struggles alongside of us. But more than living beside us, you get to give us perspective on how to deal with the challenges we face daily. And Lord, I pray that as we look at anxiety, we look at worry, look at the things that stress us out, that you would give us clarity, that you would show us that you are bigger than the things that we struggle with. You are bigger than our worries and that we would trust in you even in the midst of our biggest worries. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I love watching American Ninja Warrior. Um, And if you've never seen American Ninja Warrior, you need to go check out some YouTube clips later on. They do stuff like this on a regular basis. I don't even know what this is called. It's like stairs, and you got a dude navigating it. And you see these impressive, highly trained individuals navigate these incredible obstacles. I mean, you see them in these crazy... I don't know, cargo net, my feet are going to get caught and I'm going to hit my face, like those fun things. You also see ladies do this and they're impressive as well as they go from one monkey bar weird thing to another. You probably can't see it, but right here, this, you unhook 
and then hook onto the next monkey bar and keep going. And you watch these people with this incredible skill navigate these impressive obstacles. This one is uh, rolling balls. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. The balls rotate, and you have to run across it and jump onto the next thing. And so basically what you're trying to do is get as far as you can on this obstacle course. And what's so interesting when I watch it, um, it's not primarily based on strength. It's, it's more than that. There's a strategy to overcome each obstacle. And so you watch some people, and they're burly and bulky, and you're all jacked up. You're like, you're CrossFit 2.0. You know, you're amazing. And you watch them get up there, and they fall once or twice to the water uh, immediately. They get there, they get kind of stuck, and you see them stranded, and you see their muscles start to strain, and then they fall to the water below, which is kind of funny and humiliating. But then every now and then you see these people that, that have the skill to navigate the obstacle. So they arrive at the obstacle, and they know what to do to overcome this barrier. So they have the skill to know how to navigate the monkey bars. They know how to navigate the cargo net. And you watch these people that that maybe aren't as impressive physically as some others, but because they know the strategy, they can overcome each one of these obstacles. And as you're watching it, um, as an audience member, um, a non-ninja, American Ninja Warrior myself, I always ask myself the question, okay, after watching these people navigate each obstacle, would I have the skill to do it? I mean, if I just tried, like, could I ninja my way through this if I knew the strategy? Probably not. But what you can learn is in each obstacle, there is a strategy to overcome. And strategy is more important than strength. And this morning, we're continuing our series on upside-down living, how to, how to live the life that Jesus calls us to live in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll tell you this, strategy is more important than your strength. You will face challenges in life. And I'll tell you what, your ability to know the strategy to overcome the obstacle is better than pure willpower or pure cunning or just your natural intelligence or ability. You need to know the strategy for how to overcome in particular, worries in life. And this morning, we're looking at the next movement um, in the Sermon on the Mount. We're skipping some sections, but focusing in on, on where Jesus is really highlighting for us how to live in the midst of the life he's asking us to live. D.A. Carson calls the Sermon on the Mount the basics for, counter, for the Christian counterculture. And Jesus is calling people, first of all, to a radical humility, for a radical drive, and a radical direction, a radical commitment. He's calling us to, to be focused on him above everything else. That was week one. Week two, we looked at the community he's trying to create. And that was one where we view people as more important than ourselves. We reach beyond ourselves. And if you look at the past two weeks, you go, okay, there's a, there's a new culture we're trying to adopt. There's a new community, the way that we're trying to interact with one another. And as you look at that, you would say, okay, Kevin... That new culture, that, community, that new community sounds nice, but let's just be honest. What if it doesn't work? What if that culture, what if that community that we looked at the past couple weeks doesn't, doesn't pan out life the way that I really want to live? What if it's not actually better? What if this Christian counterculture doesn't help me in my future? And I tell you what, there's always a reason to worry. There's always a reason to worry. Say, God, I don't really know if I can trust you with my life. And it's in that moment that Jesus says, all right, 
Let's talk about anxiety. Let's talk about worry. Let's talk about your fears in actually living for God. Let's talk about it. In verse 25, he then, he gives his premise. He says, look, I'll tell you what. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? You know what he lists right here? The basics of life. Food, water, clothing. You don't want to walk around hungry, naked, without something to drink, right? These are the basics of life. And Jesus says, don't worry about the basics. Now, if if you're a psychology major, you probably studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And what they say in Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, look, the baseline that you have to settle in your life is this. Food, water, clothing, shelter. And if you settle that, you can move on. But Jesus says, look, life's more than that. Life is more than the basics. I'll tell you, you don't need to worry about that. But the truth is this, we can let worry stop us from moving forward. We can let worry literally paralyze us. And as I say that, there's there's at least three groups of people this morning here when it comes to the idea of worry. There's some of you that worry about everything, and you're like a squirrel. Your antenna are always out. You're always looking for the next cat trying to kill you or dog or car trying to hit you. And you're, you're scurrying everywhere. Worry is, is deeply ingrained with you. You are the anxious child, right? When you were a kid growing up with your family, everyone knew your antenna were out and you were ready to respond. Others of you are not worried about everything, but you worry about something. In fact, that we've seen actually there's a rise amongst college students in particular in the idea of worry. One study said this. Anxiety has now surpassed depression as the most common mental diagnosis among college students, though depression, too, is on the rise, too. More than half of students visiting campus clinics cite anxiety as a health concern, according to a study of more than 100,000 college students. The ECU reported this, a 16% increase in student counseling appointments in the past two years that those involved, in particular, anxiety at North Carolina State University. And one of the directors of counseling, Valerie Kisler, says this. It wasn't just the numbers. It felt like there was something different going on. It was almost like a lack of resilience and the ability of people to cope. And their answer, their diagnosis was this. That millennials, you guys, okay, have received a lot of recognition for participation and all get something for being involved but they didn't know how to manage the emotions that come with, being, with not being successful. What happens is when we, when we fail, when that first round of tests comes back, when that second round of tests comes back, our anxiety begins to rise and we're like, maybe I shouldn't be an engineer, although I was the smartest person in my class. How do I deal with that? And so some of you are anxious about everything, but others of you are anxious about something. There's good reason for you to worry. So for some of you, it's financial. Some of you, it's academic. Some of you, it's personal. There's a sickness in your family that you're worried about controlling, or some of it's relational. You're going, will I get a date? I mean, the semester's ending. Am I going to get married, or am I going to have to live at home with my parents for the rest of my life? Or there's a worry about the future. Oh my gosh, it is. I'm going to live at home, and we're going to watch reruns of Seinfeld until I die. That's my future. There's always something to worry about. There's some fear. And others of you are like, you're not worried about anything. You don't worry about nothing, right? You're like, D for diploma, baby, okay? Like, I'll be fine. 
And so no matter where you are on that spectrum, of whether you worry about everything or you worry about nothing, I think most of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle. There's something to be worried about, and we need to know, how do we navigate that? What is the strategy to deal with the anxieties that hit us? And it's to that moment that Jesus speaks in. Anxiety is on the rise, but there is a strategy through the anxiety. And in verse 26, he tells us to look somewhere. In fact, in this first section, he's going to tell us, I want you to look beyond the worry, because life is more than your worry. And the first thing he tells us to do is to look at nature. Verse 26, he says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? He says, look, they don't prepare. They don't plan. Birds aren't strategizing where they're going to get their next meal, yet God cares for them. In Luke chapter 12, there's actually a corollary passage to this teaching where Jesus says, says this, look at the ravens. Now in their day and age, a raven was an unclean animal. It was a scavenger. It was a dirty and nasty, kind of like pigeons in New York, right? They're rats with wings, okay? For us in Texas, it'd be like this, consider the cockroach. And you'd be like, really? You're like, yeah, it doesn't plan, it doesn't prepare, yet it gets in your house and lives and thrives on your roommate's food that he left out there, right? God provides for him. And he says, look, you are pro- they, God cares for insignificant, gross creatures. Are you not more valuable than that? Look at nature. In Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, he writes this. There is something about nature that is much more striking and inexplicable than its design. All scientific inductive reasoning is based on the assumption of the regularity, the laws of nature, that water will boil tomorrow under identical conditions today. Nature has a rhythm. It seems to work in the same way over and over again. He goes on to say, most people find this, that the nor- this, ah, most people find that normal and untroubling, but not philosophers because they're crazy. David Hume and Bertrand Russell says this, all good secular men were troubled by the fact that we haven't got the slightest idea of why nature regularity is happening now. And moreover, we haven't the slightest rational justification for assuming it will continue tomorrow. So when philosophers look at the regularity of nature, the fact that birds are fed, that life continues to thrive, they're they're freaked out. They're like, why should we expect that? And Tim Keller goes on to say, to say this, there have been many scholars in the last decade who have argued that modern science arose in its most sustained form out of Christian civilization because of its belief in an all-powerful personal God who created and sustains an orderly universe. As a proof for the existence of God, the regularity of nature is inescapable. It's a clue that God cares. When you see that God provides for the birds, you can know that you are at least that valuable. God cares for you. Look at nature. And he says, secondly, look at your limits. Jesus says in verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan. In Luke, Jesus says, and if you can't control this very small thing, like the length of your life, why are you worried about anything? I mean, have you ever ever talked to yourself about this? Have you ever been studying for an exam that you're worried about and sat there and said to yourself, worry is a worthless endeavor. It won't give me more time. 
It won't make me more productive. It won't make me better at life. In fact, the opposite will happen. If you let anxiety rule you, it will shorten your life. It will give you stress. It will give you panic attacks. It will stick you in a hospital and you will not be studying more. It will actually limit the length of your life if you let worry consume you. We can't control that and our limits are a clue to show us that we don't have control of our life. Someone bigger is in control. I can't make time stop. And then thirdly, he says, look at, look at the beauty of the world. Verse 28, he says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, look at the beauty of the world. Look at the flowers, how they grow each spring. Solomon, the wealthiest king in the history of the nation of Israel, couldn't clothe himself better than God clothes the fields. Do you think he doesn't care? When we look at nature, we can see there is a God in control. If he sustains that life, he can sustain your life. Look out. John Updike, in a short story called Pigeon Feathers, I'm sure you've read it, quotes a young teenager in his conversation to his mother. He says this, don't you see that if we, if we die, there's nothing? All your sun and fields, and they're all for naught. Horror, it's just an ocean of horror. But later in the presence of the beauty of pigeon feathers, of their texture and color, he's overwhelmed by a certainty that there's a God behind the world who will allow him to live for eternity. Keller writes, Updike seems to be saying that regardless of the beliefs in our mind about the random meaninglessness of life, before the face of beauty, we know better. He says, look at the fields. God's in control. Look at the beauty of the world. You can see that there's someone bigger here. And I tell you what, that God cares for you. So look, but secondly, trust. In verse 30, he says this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you Oh, you have little faith. Trust. And then he gives the diagnosis. You don't have faith, which is challenging because you're like, of course I've got faith, Kevin. I'm at church on Sunday, all right? But worry, a life of worry shows we don't really trust God's in control and we don't really trust God wants the best for us. But I'll tell you what, trust is tough particularly if you're in an environment you've never been before. And college is that time. You're in a new place with new challenges and new struggles, and you don't believe God will hold your hand even through this time. But I've been trying to teach my daughter this. You can trust me as your father, because I know if she gets that picture, she knows she can trust her heavenly father. So we were at a birthday party the other week, um, and it was awesome. They held it at a gymnastics place, which was so fun because everyone could run crazy. There was uh, parallel bars, there was uneven bars, there were pommel horses, there was a rope you could climb up or swing like Tarzan. It was amazing, right? And there was one part of the, of the party where there was a, a vault that you could jump off into a pile of foam, like a, like a pit of foam, foam pit, that's what it was. And you could jump into the foam pit, right? And so immediately all these five-year-olds are gunning for the 
pommel horse and foam pit. And so they all run over there and they're all standing there. And then you watch them like, okay, this is really high. And then they start jumping in. And then my daughter Peyton sees everyone jumping in. She's like, I'm going to do it too. She gets to the top of that, that vault, stands there, and she looks over and just starts crying, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, babe, you can jump. You'll be fine. She's like, ah. And then she climbs back down. And then she gets up again. You know, she sees everyone having a good time. She wants to jump too. And, and, she, and she gets up there. I'm like, go for it, babe. You can do it. It's safe. No one died yet, you know, but you won't be the first. And, and she's standing there and she goes, I can. I'm like, all right. This is why I get paid the big bucks. This is daddy time to the rescue. And so I climb up on top of the vault with her. I grab her by the hand and she's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, baby, we're jumping, you know? And I jump and pull her in and we land in. She's like laughing, smiling, happy. She's like, I made it. I'm like, yes, daddy cares. He'll hold your hand even in the most fearful place you can be. And I tell you what, your heavenly father will too. He'll clothe you. Look, you're all dressed. He'll feed you. Look, you ate. He'll give you something to drink. God cares for you. He'll hold your hand. You can trust him in the small things. So that means you can trust him with the bigger things. You can have faith in him that he is guiding your life. In verse 32, he gives us the counter of this. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. The Gentiles were a picture of the people that didn't know God. They didn't know that God cared. They didn't know that God was for them. See, the world that we live in has no reason to expect that nature will turn in their favor or that someone will intervene in their behalf. The world today has no reason to expect someone beside themselves is truly concerned about their life. But as a Christian, you can have confidence that the Heavenly Father cares for you. The Heavenly Father has your back. The Heavenly Father knows what you need and can provide for you. And when you do that, when you have unswerving trust in the God of the universe, it is compelling to an unbelieving world because they want something to believe in because they've got nothing. So not only do we first look, secondly, we trust, and lastly, we live. He says, verse 33, but seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Look, don't worry about the basic needs that you have. You seek him, and as you seek him, he's in control of all of this. You can trust that he'll carry you through. And I'll tell you what, there's something extremely stabilizing in knowing that the one who controls all things will carry you through. It's amazingly stabilizing. So I I remember when I was in seventh grade, I was playing basketball in City League basketball. And there was one kid, as always happens in City League, who had hit puberty way earlier than everyone else and had um, amazing skills beyond everyone else. And so there was this one kid, and he could literally grab rim as a seventh grader. And he was on my friend's team. And they would demolish everyone in basketball. It wasn't even fair, right? And, and I remember, like, the coach saw how good this one kid was. And so that he basically held him out for three quarters. And in the fourth quarter, he'd be like, 
rip them up, you know? And Because he, he just knew that this guy, as soon as he turned it on, there was no chance. And so I remember some games, they'd be down by like five or ten points, and they'd be like, all right, send in, the, send in the ringer. And they'd send him in, and he would just turn. And then as a seventh grader, he would do fadeaway three-pointers. And I remember sitting on the, watching this game going like, this isn't even fair, you know? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. Stick LeBron with me, you know? It's not even going to be fair. And I remember talking to my buddy. I go, hey, was it at all discouraging having that guy on your team? And he's like, no, it was awesome. Because we knew at the end of the day, we were going to win, right? And so we'd be doing behind-the-back passes, or we would fumble the ball, and it wouldn't matter because we knew this guy would carry us through. When you have confidence that you're going to win, it is incredibly stabilizing, and so you can live free. And in the Luke passage, that's what Jesus says. He says, so give away your possessions. Live with confidence. You can live free when you know the God of the universe has your back. So seek him and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. And you can live for more. Because life is more than what you're wearing. Life is more than what you're pursuing. There's something bigger to live for. And then he turns in verse 34 and he says this. So live for more risk following, and focus on today. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Kevin, are you telling me that I just need to risk big and not worry about anything? Am I supposed to be D for diploma guy? Negative. See the turn that he does at the end of this passage? He says, you, all you can control is today. Don't borrow worry for tomorrow. And I tell you what, most of the worries that we face are about a future that we can't control. Am I right? Most of the worries that we have are about a future that we can't control. And he, Jesus says, look, tomorrow's going to have enough worries for tomorrow. You can wake up tomorrow confident, knowing that there's something to get worried about. There'll be something on the news. There'll be some conversation that you have with a friend. There will be worry tomorrow. And Jesus says, don't borrow from there. You do what you can do today. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the, this law. He says, look, there's secret things that God has in control. We have time in one linear direction. We can't go redo the past and we can't predict the future. Time is in one linear direction. And all we have control of is the present that God has given us. And he says, look, the secret things, the things that are in the future, that belongs to God. What you can control is what you do today. So can I give you some practical pieces to move worry out of the way today? I would say first this. Make a plan. If you've got anxiety about school, make a plan. This is where I'm going to study today. This is how, how much time I'm going to spend there. I'm going to make a plan to study. Number two, pray your plan. Pray, God, I, I'm actually going to trust you that as I study and prepare, this is the next thing. And number three, get some wise counsel. If school isn't going well for you, if your future is not clear in your mind, what have we done here at Southwood? We've stuck people at tables 
to connect with you and to help you process the plan you have. And lastly, open your hands. Lord, I'm trusting that if you can feed birds, you can fix my future. And that enables you the ability to live a life where you can actually risk. One of my favorite stories, my, my last illustration in closing, is from the life of George Mueller. He was a missionary in London. He was from Germany, but he initially went to London as a missionary to, to reach the Jewish people living in London. And as he's there, he sees all sorts of pain around him. And as he sees all this different pain, he decides, okay, I, I want to still reach the Jewish people, but I want to reach out and share the gospel with these other needs that I see in the world around me. And so he writes back to the, the missionary organization sending him. He says, look, I'm still going to follow your lead um, in reaching these people, but I also want to reach out. And they say, no. He says, please. And they say, no. He says, well, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to no longer be employed by your services, and I'm going to go off on my own. And so they cut him off financially. And so he begins preaching at a couple other churches, kind of sustaining his way. And then at a point, he sees all of these orphans living in London in the 1830s. And he decides to open his house up for an orphanage. And he starts bringing orphans in and, and, and you know, bringing them food and caring for them. And there were some weeks as he has this orphanage that he's starting where there's no food in the house, literally no food. And so they would sit down at the table together and say grace. Lord, thank you for the food that you hopefully will provide in the future. Amen. And more often than not, something would happen where food would be provided. Someone would knock on the door with a bag of groceries. I mean, literally within minutes. I mean, one time a bread truck broke down outside. They couldn't get out of the snow. And so the guy said, all right, well, y'all can have the bread. And literally they were saying grace. They brought in the bread from outside and began eating. And it was absolutely amazing. Read his biography. You see over and over and over again, God provide this man who decided to risk and live by faith because he believed a God who cared for him. And at the end of the book, he writes this. My faith, he says, is the same faith which is found in every believer. Try it for yourself, and you will see the help of God if you trust in him. But what can we do to have our faith strengthened, people would ask him. He says, first, read the Bible carefully and thoughtfully, that you will learn more and more about the character of God, how loving and kind and merciful and wise and faithful he is. Secondly, try to keep your conscience clear. Don't make a habit of doing things which displease God. Otherwise, when your faith is tested, you'll have no confidence in God because of your guilty conscience. Third, don't try to avoid situations where your faith may be tested. Ooh. Naturally, we don't like trusting God in God alone, but it is when we do that our faith is strengthened. And he says this to close. There is life and power and reality in our holy faith if you have never known this, then come, taste it for yourself. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much that you challenge us to move through our anxieties and to trust you, that you care for us, that you're in control of the things that we are not in control of, and that you call us to follow you and risk and trust you for today. I pray that as we discuss some of our anxieties, as we talk about the things that are 
maybe even holding us captive, that you would open our hearts, that we would look to your control of the world. We would trust that you care for us and that we would live for your glory and our good. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. I'm Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith. And we are here just to go a little bit deeper into our sermons and to talk about what's coming up down the road in our college ministry. Uh, So we're in the back half of our Sermon on the Mount series that we're calling Upside Down Living as we're looking at the way that Jesus wanted to change the lives of his followers so that we can be his instruments and his witnesses in changing the lives of others around us. Uh, And man, it is really fun. I'm sad to kind of see it come to a close next week because it's it's been really cool. It's been really fun. And it is always sad to... To uh, to leave this behind because there's been some really great themes that we've been able to yeah, talk about. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. Well, it's yesterday especially. I mean, it was I, I lost count of how many students were came up to me and were like, "Man, they hit me right where I was." And it's because we talked about anxiety, and so kind of. I mean, both of us knew even walking into this week, like. This is going to be pretty broadly reaching, you know. Right. <laughs> Especially is... like third round of tests <laughs> right, at this point right. in the semester. Right. We're right. Freshmen the, yeah. trying to figure out, should I have been a nuclear engineer? Yeah. I don't I know. Don't know. <laughs> right, yeah. So it was, it was fortuitous. And I think, you know, it was – what was so powerful about it is that, you know, it's – it's going back to the fact that Jesus Christ spoke into that. You know, the fact that it, we don't have a God who's just unknowable and unrelatable, but we have a God who knows us deeply and intimately. And, and Jesus Christ, you know, he had room uh, to be anxious or to worry, and yet he didn't. Right. And he has given us principles, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, of, man, this is this is the way you should be living instead. And so, man, it was it was really powerful. It was really, uh, it was a privilege to be able to talk through that passage at the end of Matthew 6 on, man, look, we need to stop worrying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to trust that we have a God who cares, a God who's in control, uh, a God who's laid out commands for us to follow, uh, a God who has purpose behind the events in our lives. Uh, right. But... One of the things that I kind of wished, and looking back, one of the things I wish that we had, I had maybe taken a moment to talk on is just, you know, we talked about trusting in the Lord in, you know, making, you know, reminding ourselves that he has a plan, he has a purpose. Um, But the reality is that a lot of times if you have a friend or a loved one, Mm -hmm. uh, a coworker, you know, a classmate, someone who's in the midst of doubt or someone who's in the midst of maybe strife or, or a circumstance that is far from ideal, mm. uh, that's not always the moment mm-hmm. to tell them that God has a plan. You know, if someone's right. dealing with tragedy or disease and they're sitting at a funeral, there's been death. Mm-hmm. That's not generally the moment to walk up and say, hey, you know what Romans eight twenty eight tells us that God works out all things for those who love him. You know, that that's not just pastorally, that that's not the best move in every context. Right. And I think that's so good, Jacob, because sometimes we like to rush in with an answer, especially if we just heard like a great teaching um, on something, then kind of go, all right, here's how you overcome anxiety. 
And even as we try to frame the idea of dealing with anxiety, we try to say that, hey, some of you are anxious about everything. <laughs> some of you are anxious about something. Um, and others of you are anxious about nothing. There's nothing that phases you and because you're writing the D for diploma, right? <laughs> but but for others of you, there's something that, that really is pressing. And it's, it's the cancer uh, call that you get or your mom gets. Um, it's the, the financial stress. It's the burden. And yeah. There aren't always simple answers to tough situations. Yeah, right. And, and a lot of times in those moments, I mean, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from a seminary prof who's walked through congregational care, was a pastor for years and years and years. I mean, one of the best things I heard from him who, as a man who had walked through those horrific situations, he said, so many times the best thing you can do is to walk up to that person to ask him how they're doing, mm-hmm. to tell him that you love them, and to tell him, hey, I, I'm so sorry mm-hmm. that that's been happening. I'm so sorry that this happened. Is there anything I can do yeah. to help you? I'm here for you if you need anything. And he said, you know, that's nine times out of ten. That is that is the most effective way to love someone and move towards someone in the midst of tragedy. Right, right. And and the truth is, you know, in any sermon, you can't give every single piece. And so right. you got to focus in. And one of the pieces that I, I wasn't able to focus in on was uh, where Jesus is basically saying, don't, don't worry. God's in control. God cares. And so you can risk for him. You can live for him. And, and uh, there's always the circumstance where that didn't work out for an individual in, in a way. And, mm. and as Jacob, you and I were talking about this, we said, okay, look. The prime example of anyone who has lived a life dedicated to the cause of God, who entrusted themselves fully to the will of the Father, was Jesus Christ. And how did it end for him? In glory, Mm -hmm. but through the path of a lot of pain, Mm -hmm. through death, rejection, and a cross. Mm -hmm. Um, But he even still says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And so at the end of the day, we can trust that God cares, that he's in control, and that he is going to lead us into what's best for him, mm-hmm. but in the end, what's best for us, Yeah, even if it includes uh, some trial and pain along the way. So mm-hmm. fun to talk about anxiety. Thank you so <laughs> much for joining us on the Grace College podcast. We hope you have a great week. <laughs>